You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's lesson, Paul and Lydia, Jill Ravel will explain how Saul, the persecutor who became Paul, the preacher through a dramatic conversion. Then Daphne Edwards will lead us through the book of Acts to Lydia, a seller of purple from Thyatira who supported Paul in his ministry. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and please head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can sign up to our future modules, see the other ministries we have to offer and study our past modules. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to our students for today's teaching. Well, shalom. Hi. Welcome. Uh, So tonight we're going to explore um, Saul's life and times before he became Paul. But we're just going to have a little bit of a pray before we start. So we just come before you, Lord, because we can, because we may. And we just ask you that we're receptive to you and that um, uh, we are always learning. And we just thank you in your name. Amen. Okay, so picture yourself. Here we are, right? We're in, it's AD one, perhaps five. Um, it's in the Mediterranean, you know, we're in this, there's the seas lapping. Um, there's a, a, a place called Tarsus, which is 12 miles from the coast. Uh, and this is in the province of Cilicia which is now known as Turkey. So uh, this is during the latter years of Herod. So just picture yourself in this, uh, the Roman Empire, it's part of the Roman Empire, it's been taken over by the Romans, Uh, but it's quite a nice time. It's quite a sort of peaceful time, really. Um, So this is during the latter years of Herod, at the time of Caesar Augustus. So um, this place Tarsus was well known, or Cilicia was known for um, silver ores and iron ores. So it was a busy, very productive, uh, very industrious uh, part of the world. It was also famous for raising goats, producing goat's hair cloth used in tent making, which um, was actually, Saul was, a, Saul was a tradesman and that was his trade possibly learn about from his father. Um, that, that could have been the situation. Um, actually, it's interesting too, because between uh, 250 BC and 400 AD, there was a period of unusually warm weather in Europe and, and the North Atlantic, and it was known by RCO, the Roman Climate Optimum. So, uh, which actually promoted change in plant growth. And so actually with what's happening at the moment, you know, there's, there's not, not a lot new there then. So just picture that, that's where we are now. We're in, in Cilicia, in the province of Cilicia. So around this time, we have the birth of Saul. He was born into a Jewish family of the tribe of Benjamin. Um, not much is known about his parents. Um, some say his mother was Eunice, but 
that's debatable, that's not really proven. Uh, and some say that Simeon was his father, um, possibly, possibly the same Simeon that um, held the baby Jesus in his arms and said, this is the Messiah. Um, but it, it is said that Saul was a, a Pharisee born of a Pharisee. So he was a Pharisee and his father was a Pharisee. We do know that Saul had a sister and a nephew um, because that says that in Acts 23, verse 16, there's a story that, that's uh, about his sister and a nephew. Uh, Saul was a Roman citizen. He was born free. Um, apparently, there is three ways that you could become a Roman citizen. Um, some is by birthright. Um, it was inherited by his father for, in Saul's case. Uh, it could be um, through military service, which is a pretty tough way to earn citizenship, I would imagine. And it could be bought, um, so nothing new under the sun there, you know, anything can be bought. You know, corruption's been around for many, many years. So um, Saul would have been circumcised at eight days old and brought up within the Jewish traditions. He'd be um, brought up in the shelter of his Hebrew family. He was well educated, uh, he could write, obviously, um, uh, but he, and he, he learned by his tutor, uh, Gamaleo, I think is how you say it in Hebrew. Um, so uh, consequently, uh, Saul was a strict observer of the, of the Jewish law um, and was actually from an early age becoming a sort of Gentile-hating Pharisee. Sounds pretty tough, doesn't it? Uh, Saul was a tradesman. He was a tent maker. He made leather tents out of goat's hair cloth. Um, which was uh, produced um, in, within the local community. Uh, and he would make tents for perhaps the Roman government or for the general public. Uh, it would be useful, actually, this, this uh, trade that he had after conversion, because it did help with funding his ministry. I think he did a bit of tent making after he was uh, converted to Christianity. So we are led to believe that he had a fiery disposition, but an honest man, um, a genuine man, but I think we can be genuinely wrong. I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. Possibly growing in self-righteousness um, with a fervent spirit of persecuting zeal, I would say. So let's look at around 80, AD 32-33, which is a couple of years or so before Saul's encounter with Jesus. Uh, Saul would be in his 20s um, when he came across Stephen. Now Stephen is a deacon in the early church. Um, he was a fearless evangelist. Saul and his adversaries couldn't find a way to beat him with his teachings. So they turned to a barbaric, murderous plan and brought him before the Sanhedrin. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we'll turn to Acts 7, 54. And this is the uh, stoning of Stephen. Right. So when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So, let's look at um, Saul on the road to Damascus. Um, Hang on, I've lost my place. Sorry, everybody. Um, Now, Saul was on the road to Damascus. He was northeast of Mount, which the road to Damascus, Damascus is actually northeast of Mount Hermon, which is in Syria now. And he was going to seek out and arrest Christ's followers and return them to Jerusalem as prisoners for questioning and possible execution. Saul would have had an authority from the high priest to arrest anyone who belonged to the way, is what they called it. Um, A man who hated Jesus and all who associated with him. Interesting that when the Lord spoke, Saul said, Who are you, Lord? Even people who don't believe ask, where is God? So we're going to look at Acts now, Acts 9. Um, I'm not going to read until the end. So, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there, whoever belonged to the way, men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias replied, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. 
and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for in my name. That's an amazing uh, account. So um, I think there's, there's so many players with this, isn't there, as well? That's what the amazing thing about this, this conversion. Uh, you know, the men travelling with, with Paul must have, like, they didn't hear the Lord's voice, but they must have seen this amazing transformation and what was happening at that point. There was the persecuted Christians that obviously would have realised that there was somebody on their way to give them a really hard time. Um, there was Ananias, who, again, he was um, a bit of a pawn in this. You know, he was a little bit reluctant. You know, it was a pretty nasty guy he was having to go and talk to. And also the folk in the city. I mean, they must have, have, have heard this story and, and, and seen for themselves the things that were going on. There's so many players. You know, the Lord's amazing about how he gives us so many players in these situations. So... Um, there are so many different scenarios in that. So if you would allow me some poetic justice, I'm going to read you a, um, a poem, if you've got time. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a possible, this could possibly have been what, um, what uh, Saul heard when he became a Paul. Actually, that's quite an interesting thing because the meaning of the name Saul is uh, Hebrew for prayed for, which sort of indicates a persecutor. And the meaning of, name, of the name Paul is humble. So it kind of refers to the changed Christian man. I think it's interesting. So, uh, as I say, this is an ode to an encounter with the living God. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Imprisoning the folk that follow me. Why do you vent so furiously? I am the I am. You cannot see, but you shall eventually. Now you're blinded physically and spiritually. You fall on your face in front of me. When will you learn? When will that be? That only I can set you free. So go and wait in the city, shall send Anias lovingly. Your scales will drop completely. My grace is your sufficiency because the living God is me. Amen. Thank you. Well, good evening, everybody. It's very strange, actually, but listening to Jill, I thought she was um, going to talk about everything that I've written down here, but I got to assume it's the work of the Holy Spirit, and we're in tune, Jill. So I'm in the Book of Acts as well tonight, and the name Lydia was dropped in my heart when I was thinking about a Bible character, and I thought, I don't know much about her, but as I looked into it, I realise there's very little about her in Acts. In fact, there's only two, two verses. So I thought, how am I going to speak for 20, 30 minutes on two verses? 
But as I was digging into the Book of Acts, I really got excited with the whole story of the start of the early church and it really inspired me to almost start from the beginning. So I'm sticking with it, I'm sticking with seeing how Lydia fits into the whole tapestry of the early church growing and spreading. So here's some background information first. So the book of Acts covers a period of some 30 years from the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost to the close of Paul's imprisonment at Rome. It starts where the Gospels leaves off, reporting the actions of the apostles and the work of the Holy Spirit. So who wrote the book of Acts? All the evidence points to Paul's dear friend Luke, the doctor. He wrote Acts, it is believed, as a sequel to his gospel, called the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the only non-Jewish writer in the New Testament. He came from Antioch, which is Turkey, or possibly Philippi, northeastern Greece. So he was a Greek. Perhaps you thought he was Jewish. He was, he was a doctor, so a man of compassion, of great compassion. In his Gospel, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, he emphasises the compassion of Jesus. He affirms Jesus' divinity, but the real emphasis of his Gospel is on Jesus' humanity. Jesus, the Son of God, and also the Son of Man. Luke was a close friend and a travelling companion to Paul. So he could interview the other disciples. I reckon he had a journal, don't you? You know what it's like when we go on holiday and we have a journal. I just had a, a picture of Luke having a journal. He had access to other historical accounts and he was an eyewitness to the birth and the growth of the early church. His Gospel and the Book of Acts are historical, reliable documents. So he was very helpful to Paul on his missionary journeys and quite often if people needed medical attention he was there on hand. Can you imagine when they got stoned or whipped or all sorts of things happened to them in the early days? Luke was there. So when was it written? It was most probably written at the close of Paul's two-year imprisonment in Rome in the early or mid-AD 60, 50 days after the resurrection and 10 days after Jesus ascended to his father at the festival of first harvest, also called Pentecost, a festival of thanksgiving for the harvest's crops. It says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the <coughs> earth. That's Acts 1.8. So would you have liked to be in that upper room on the day of Pentecost? That's how, that was why I was digging into the whole thing of the book of Acts. I, I really got quite excited there all on my own. And I thought, what must it have been like? They, were, they didn't really know what was going to happen. Jesus just told them to go and wait there. I don't think they really had any idea. 
Can you imagine the atmosphere at that time? It must have been electric. Such anticipation. No one really knowing what would happen, except that Jesus had told them to wait there. So going now to Acts 2.1. So what did happen? On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. What a day. What a day to be present. Must have been amazing. A wind, I mean, we're listening to the wind tonight, but this was some other wind. I don't think there was a wind like this. It rushed round the building. Then a fire came to purify those present and tongues of different languages, which symbolizes speech and the communication of them going out and giving the good news to others. The excitement the momentum, the passion, a match, it was just like a match or a fire had been lit that would never and could never go out. So Christianity is not limited to any race or group of people as we saw on that day of Pentecost. Visitors in Jerusalem were surprised to hear the apostles and other believers speaking in languages other than their own. God used many languages to call all kinds of people. God's always got it sewn up, hasn't he? It's like, just amazing how he plans everything down to the finest detail. He includes, it's all inclusive. Even the day of Pentecost was all inclusive. So beginning in Jerusalem, the church is established and grows rapidly. But then, as it's growing rapidly, it also faces intense persecution, which drives the believers out into the surrounding areas. So through this dispersion, Samaritans and Gentiles hear the good news and believe. So the persecution even was like a thing that had to happen because it dispersed the people and the good news spread out. So as I read on in the book of Acts, I think you might wonder what's happening to Lydia. <laughs> like I said, there's only two verses, so I'm just building it up and we'll get, we'll get to Lydia in time. I mean, what can you say in half an hour? You've got to pad it out. <laughs> so Acts is full of conversions, courtroom dramas, public riots, and even a shipwreck the conversion of Saul, as we've already heard tonight, so he must be in the spirit, later to become Paul, who set out to persecute the apostles and those who belong to the way, is perhaps one of the most dramatic supernatural conversions written. And we've heard about that tonight already. It must have been an amazing time to be there, as I've said already, and in Acts 5.12. It was a revival, wasn't it? It was a revival of the early church. 
We've not seen it. I don't think we've, well, I've not seen anything like it in my lifetime. And it says in Acts 5, verse 12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. So Peter and John saw many miracles. The Holy Spirit was very evident wherever they went and wherever they prayed for people, they just saw amazing things. And the other thing that really struck me, the sense of unity and community, which we long for sometimes in our own churches and to get to know people more. So that's in Acts 4, 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Can you imagine being in a church where they're all in one in heart and mind? <laughs> no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. I love that. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. That's amazing too, isn't it? From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, <coughs> brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Remember further on the story of Ananias and Sapphira, the Holy Spirit was so evident that you couldn't go and deceive or tell a lie or you would want to get your life right if you went to church that Sunday, wouldn't you? You couldn't, couldn't hide anything. And they came and they deceived the Holy Spirit and they ended up dead on the floor. So that's what I mean by revival. The Holy Spirit was so powerfully present that you wouldn't dare to deceive the Holy Spirit. So Saul's conversion marks a turning point in the history of the early church. The story is told three times in Acts, once by Luke and twice by Paul himself. So sorry, this is a bit of a repeat, but um, again, I trust the Holy Spirit. So Saul had gone to the high priest to ask for letters that he found anyone belonging to the way, as it was called, he would take them prisoners to Jerusalem, but God had other plans for Saul's life. How often have you wanted to carry out your own plans, but God has intervened and redirected you? I'm sure that's what happened to Saul that day. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed round him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I think Jill said Paul was sort of an angry person. I saw him as a passionate person. I suppose his aggression would be turn, turned to passion in a way. He wanted to kill Christians and now he's equally passionate to save all unbelievers. It's like overnight he turned or God turned him. He was a clever man, but God used him. So not long now, we'll soon be with Lydia. <laughs> We're gonna get there. So Barnabas, 
and Saul, now called Paul, were sent off on their second missionary journey. They did many missionary journeys together, but were now on the second one to Cyprus. Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the churches to see how they are doing. So they wanted to go back and see the believers that had come to Christ. Barnabas agreed, but he wanted to take John Mark with him. But Paul didn't want that because John Mark has deserted them on a previous journey. The disagreement had been so sharp that Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and travelled through Syria and Cilicia, which is modern-day Turkey, strengthening the churches there. Next, they went on to Fergia and Galatia, which is still in Turkey, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching in Asia. But Paul had a vision that night. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So they set sail, reached Philippi, a major city in northeastern Greece. So this is it, folks, where we meet Lydia in the story of Acts of the Apostles. Acts 16, verse 13. So on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I don't know, I think she sounded a lovely lady to me when I was reading that. She definitely was a wealthy, successful businesswoman. Dealing in purple cloth and dye, the region was famous for, for that. Thyatira was famous for being a centre of indigo trade. She had moved or gone to Philippi to ply her trade in that city. That's why she was in Philippi, although she was from Thyatira. No husband is mentioned. She may have had one, but he's not mentioned. <coughs> She's a spiritual searcher. She was a godly woman. She worshipped the God of the Jews, but was a Gentile by birth. In this passage here, she definitely was a woman of prayer. She opened her heart to the gospel and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as Paul spoke to her. She was the first European convert. Although a minor character and only mentioned twice, 2,000 years later, she is still remembered for her contribution to early Christianity. Well, I'm talking about her tonight, so she's obviously still remembered. I'm sure lots of other people had. And as I was reading um, 
this account of Lydia. It reminded me of the woman in Proverbs 31, the woman of noble character. I thought, oh, she sounds like the woman in Proverbs. And so I looked Proverbs 31, 19 up. And does this sound like Lydia to you? Her hands are busy spinning thread. Her fingers twisting fibre. She extends a helping hand to the poor and open her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter, for her household, for everyone, has warm clothes. That does sound a bit like Lydia to me. What a response Lydia had to the gospel message. Do you remember when you first heard the message and you said, Lord, I will go anywhere, I will do anything for you, I'm fully available. I think that's what Lydia did that day when she heard the gospel message. Because straight away, she didn't waste 10 years, 15, 20 years. She got baptised straight away. The river was there. I can imagine Paul said, would you want to get in the river, Lydia? And she probably said, yes, straight away. But not only that, she brought the rest of her household to Paul, however many that was, and they believed as well. And she opened her home. Then after that account, when all that happened, Paul and Silas get put in prison. A story I don't need to say again about that story. But then Lydia is mentioned again after they came out of prison in Acts 16, verse 40. Paul and Silas came out of prison. That's when they were released miraculously. They went to Lydia's house where they were met with the brothers and encouraged them, then they left. So she was insistent that they come to her home, insistent that she could look after them. Her generosity is remarkable, isn't it? For somebody who's just come to know about the way. Her self-giving care for the new, her new community was patterned after the self-giving love of Jesus. She just wanted to give her everyone, everything. She had a home of her own to share. A large house, it must have been, it sounds like it, a major asset. Many of the women in the Bible played a financial role whilst the early congregations were forming. Mary Magdalene, I read, Joanna, Susanna and other women gave from their resources to support the early apostles and to support Jesus and the disciples in their ministry. Tabitha and many other women contributed financially to care for the poor and Lydia offered hospitality. So how can we use the assets we have for the kingdom? I love it when you do a study of hospitality. It runs from Genesis right through to revelation of people opening their homes, cooking meals, offering shelter, and it ends up with us having a meal with Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb. What does hospitality mean? The act of being friendly and welcoming to guests and visitors. Lydia left everything to follow Jesus. Her hospitality brought unity among the believers. Hospitality takes the focus off ourselves and onto others. 
It develops a spirit of generosity and kindness. It's healing to the soul. When you think the word hospital comes from it, it's no wonder it's healing to the soul. It blesses the giver as well as the receiver. Open heart, open home. Generous spirit, the way the early church lived, sharing everything they had, a passion and love for Christ and fellow believers. Nothing more seems to be mentioned about Lydia, but we discover later in biblical history there is a church in Thyatira. Could it be that Lydia was the one who brought the gospel to her hometown? And that's in Revelation. I'll just read this to you. So how did that church start? It must have been something to do with Lydia. Revelation 2.18. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, who, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do. I have seen your love and your faith, your service and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. He does go on later to rebuke that church, but I'm sure that was the start of the church there and Lydia had something to do with it. I've just got a little story I'd like to end with and which is sort of affirms what I've been saying. So Jesus spe spent a long lot of time eating with others. He often broke down the barriers between people by associating with individuals who were excluded from other gatherings. The spiritual practice of hospitality was one of his great gifts to humanity. The story goes like this. After Grandma dies, Grandpa sits in his chair and has no energy to do anything. One day he decides to make the meatball soup that she used to make. He starts out simply and shares the results with three hungry mice. The soup isn't quite as good as his wife, so he purchases more ingredients. This time, three mice and a cat come for dinner. Grandpa keeps adding things to the meatball soup and extending the circle of guests to include a dog and ten children. In the process, he moves beyond his grief by connecting with others and creating a grateful community around him. It's amazing what hospitality can do. Jesus identifies with the stranger, the outsider, the needy. Daily hospitality hones a distinctive Christian culture from within as it embraces evangelistic optimism, knowing that if God wills, strangers will become neighbours and neighbours will become part of the family of God. Who knows? Lydia knew. She understood. But this may happen in your home and at your table. Amen. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. 
and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk if you would like to partner with us by making a secure online donation. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.